that. We want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. What's up, everybody? How's it going this weekend? Thank you for joining me. Another edition of Morton's Law here on this July 10th, 2021. Please follow me on Twitter at Morton's underscore law and Morton's Law Podcast on Instagram, Morton's Law Podcast on YouTube. Please spread the word and check out past episodes if you can. Let's get into some news this past week. Well, in general, just me watching TV, because if you've heard past episodes, some new listeners would be like, wait, what? You've actually watched Arrow and reviewed that show? Yes, I have. So please go check that out. And lately, I've been binge watching Law & Order SVU. Yes, so many disturbing episodes involving rape, murder, and molestation. Or as I call it, a Friday night in AC. So a most recent episode in season four, a five-year-old claims her stepbrother is being sexually molested by his stepmother. The brother is actually a teenager, by the way. So they go and interview the brother. They ask him questions. Of course he denies it. The stepmom is an actress and hot, by the way. If you remember the actress Sherilyn Finn, from the 80s she was in that movie just one of the guys where she actually liked the girl who acted as a guy good movie from the 80s you want to go check that out some naked scene too also so of course they deny it and all i could think is this if only i could be so lucky imagine that a stepmom a babysitter or a teacher that's a teen boy's definition of hitting the lottery abuse I call it a dream come true. You know how many teachers I wish would have, air quotes, molested me? My childhood was awful. I deserve some kind of enjoyment. You hear all these stories in the news of a teen having sex with his teacher. Sometimes she even gets pregnant. The worst part of the story is she goes to jail. Imagine being that poor kid never getting to tap that again. Oh, the travesty. That's the only real crime. Moving along, Governor Cuomo in the news again, or should I say his daughter in the news. This is a story I forgot about last week. She had come out saying that she's demisexual, which means you don't experience sexual attraction until you first build an emotional relationship, to which guys replied with, I have no idea what that even means. Most guys experience sexual attraction when a woman says hi or blows a rape whistle. By the way, Governor Cuomo, walking, responded with this. Demisexual is that named after actress Demi Moore. You know, I love the movie Indecent Proposal, but unlike Robert Redford, in that movie, I never have to pay money if I want a woman Whether they're demisexual or cuomosexual, they just can't resist my charm. So yes, uh, by the way, did you hear about that nutjob? What's his name? The MyPillow guy? Mike Lindell? 
talking about Trump is going to be president once again on August 13th. Just, yeah, people are out of control. It's, <laughs> it's amazing how many Republicans think this is actually going to become a reality. Even Trump is like, I have no idea what these people are talking about. I don't know. They've lost their minds. But, yeah, it's ridiculous. And real quick, just talking about the New York City mayor situation. Eric Adams is apparently on the fence regarding how he's going to handle crime in the city, to which a lot of Republicans are now up in arms regarding the way the city has basically fallen apart with crime, which people are comparing to the 1990s again, although the numbers are far from that. It's just the spike. And, of course, now we have Curtis Lewa running as Republican, which most people basically feel will clean up the streets regardless of what other damage he may do to the city. I think people just put crime ahead of everything else. So we'll see what happens with that election. Hey, listen, I'm a Democrat. I talk about that. But right now, who wants to go into the city? You hear everything that goes on. I mean, especially if you watch, I guess it's probably best you don't watch YouTube or watch the news in general, because then you don't have an idea, and then it doesn't make you so paranoid. But yeah, it's it's quite alarming if you know what's going on. All right, well, uh, coming up on this episode of Morton's Law, of course, we will address AEW Dynamite, NXT, a little bit of SmackDown, and the NBA Finals. So you're listening to Morton's Law Podcast coming back after this. So the show opens up with a strap match with my favorite wrestler, Cody, against QT Marshall. Cody gets the glamorous introduction, and for whatever reason, QT gets the 1980s jobber intro. And here's QT Marshall. It was just like, what? I mean, even if you don't show him doing a full walk to the ring, at least show him entering the ring and announce him first. I just couldn't believe that. It was just like, here he is. No, no one cares. This was a good hard-hitting match. I have no real complaints about it. I mean, I'm used to having watch Cody throw in some ridiculous spots. Of course, he has to do that springboard cutter, which is just ridiculous. Is it every match now have a cutter in it? It seems like that. It's just like back old school with the the power bomb, and then of course the uh, what is that? The the kick. There's always something. It's just like always. The spinning heel kick, thank you. It seemed like there's always a move that just is in vogue and everyone uses it. And um, no surprise, Cody wins. It was okay. It was just, it, it was there. Omega in the ring with Don Callis. Promo about nobody being left. Didn't we hear that already last week? I don't know. So out comes Dark Order, which they did last week. And a brawl ensues. This time, Paige enters with his music, and he takes out the Elite. He makes eye, t- eye contact with Omega. Now, after this happens, I started to get curious if they will rush the title fight now for the next pay-per-view, which is, I believe, called Fight for the Fallen. Now, I feel like they need to find a way to stretch this out all the way to All Out, Unless they have one match and it ends in some kind of DQ, screwy finish, double count out, anything along the lines where then they can have the rematch to all out. Although I'm inclined to believe they have something else up their sleeves to to get maybe a different opponent for Omega and just bridge the gap to all out. Curious how they do that. I mean, we talked about Christian when he first came in. I thought he would get the next match against Omega. It doesn't look like that now because he's, of course, with feuding with Hardy. 
I mean, that's just odd the way they do things and see if they pick this up and go somewhere else. So I'm not sure if I got this right in order, but I know Jericho and MJF had a face-off. And I went, hmm, didn't we just get that on the previous show Tuesday night with Mr. Cross and Gargano, which we'll talk about later. And uh, the best part about this, well, the segment was good in general. Look, MJF, Jericho firing shots at each other, a lot of good stuff. They talked about the stipulation in their matchup coming. Of course, this was a good segment. But what basically uh, buried the lead here was a fan going onto the ramp, some big guy, fat, and uh, security takes him. And then Jericho leaves the ring and gets a couple cheap shots and pushes the guy. And... uh, I saw about multiple angles. Go look online. There's about three or four angles of Jericho just punching him. But, yeah, that happened. Six-man tag match. Now, I refuse to call these trios matches. I know Tony Khan loves to go with what everyone says and everyone across the world. But not everyone calls it a trios, okay? I'll call it a trios when it's a lucha match. This was not. It was the pinnacle against the inner circle. And I said, hey, we get to see FTR wrestle. And proud and powerful. It was good. I mean, it was okay, but the main important part is that they kept the pinnacle strong and had them win this match. I couldn't tell you much more than that. There's just a lot to review here, so I'm not going to spend so much time on everything. Next up, we get Arn Anderson in the ring, and the lights go out. This for a second time. I forgot to mention in the Cody match, there was actually a power outage briefly because they talked about the weather and stuff like that. And as the lights come back on, it's Tommy End. And the crowd loses it. And I thought, wait, okay, I'm not sure why people didn't see this coming. I mean, it was inevitable. Now, who cares about the no-compete clause, whether it was 30 or 90 days? He was coming. At some point, you know Tony Khan loves WWE guys. And it's just whoever... First of all, we look at his roster and we make complaints and nitpick about certain guys that don't belong on TV. So he's going to take his chances if he can bring a guy in. If it's financially feasible, why not? So... Tommy End now becomes the 200th male on the roster as they continue to basically... I mean, I don't know how... There's just so many wrestlers. So, of course, he destroys Arn Anderson with the Black Mass. And then out comes Cody. And this was terrible on so many levels. Now, Tommy End, as we later learn, is Malachi Black. He ends up laying out your manager slash coach with a kick to the head. And instead of Cody being livid, he comes out timid and he approaches cautiously. And I was like, what? How is he not running to the ring to attack and seek immediate revenge? This was just stupid. I mean, all right, here's what they could have done. They could have had Cody in a rage, like run full speed at end without realizing what he's doing. And then he takes the same kick to the head and he gets knocked out. Instead, they make Cody look weak. They make End look weak also by taking a cheap shot on Cody as he's trying to check on Arn. It just, yeah, they didn't do that right. And um, and that's another thing. <laughs> I thought, do we really want Malachi Black now working with Cody? <laughs> Is Cody really going to give him a rub? I mean, yo, here's the th- we talk about the business in general and how guys debut in a company and you automatically think they're getting buried if they lose. And then when you look at the booking of NXT and how certain guys have come in, specifically Kushida, and the fact that when he came in, he wasn't pushed to the top right away. He had a couple of losses. People started questioning the booking method. And not all the time 
are you going to just give a guy a Goldberg winning streak? Perhaps you want to see how they react. You want to build them. And I get that. So for people thinking that he's going to come in and win his first 10 matches and be in a title match, that's just unrealistic. I'm not saying I want him to be jobbed out by Cody either. So I'm, I'm curious how creatively they, they book this. But of course, Cody as an EVP, I'm a little skeptical in how this is going to go down. Next up, we get Bunny and the Blade against Orange Cassidy and Chris Statlander. And Orange is still over huge. Of course, crowd, uh, most crowds have not seen him in a long time, 18 months. Now, I didn't care about this match except for one important moment to me. Now, Statlander does the... Cl- By the way, she's a powerhouse. She's so strong and athletic. She does this classic Davy Boy Smith delayed suplex, right? The vertical suplex we've seen a thousand times. Now, she holds her up there for a good 30 seconds, and the announcers put it over by talking about the blood rushing to the head. The bunny gets dropped and sells the back. She's, she's doing a good job selling the back. And I go, okay, but she gets up, and you tell me what she should have done. What should she have done here? Bueller? Bueller? She should have acted dizzy. Grab her head, wobble around, sell the blood rushing to the head. And then you can have the announcers put it over. And these are the little things that they don't do that they need to get better at. Okay, here was the highlight of the night for me anyway. So Shivani is ringside and he's trying to interview Dan Lambert, Jorge Masvidal, and Amanda Nunez. Puts them over from American Top Team, of course. We all know, well, those who follow MMA, you know who they are. Perhaps some wrestling fans didn't know who they were. Lambert grabs the mic, as everyone does from Shivani. He barely gets to hold it. And he goes to the ring. And he cuts arguably the greatest promo in AEW history. I mean, this was the epitome of heat. We talk about heat. (laughs) So he he thanks Tony Khan for being there. But then he says, AEW sucks. He actually brings up championship wrestling from Florida. He talks about how he watched Gordon Soley call matches of real wrestlers. Eddie Graham, Terry Funk, Jack Briscoe, Harley Wet Race, and Dusty Rhodes. He even threw in a, a, a funny line about <laughs> Barry Windham and Rick Rude era. And uh, we started to get tired of it then. Now the crowd is booing him vociferous. Okay, not that loud. It wasn't like heat, heat. But it was, it was heat from the standpoint of what he was saying. Then he says, the truth is pro wrestling has gone downhill since the late 90s. Product is unwatchable. Crowd boos more. Out comes Lance Archer, out of witness protection, lays out Lambert, and the crowd barely cared. There was almost no reaction. I mean, you can't put over Lambert any more than... I mean, this was an amazing performance. It was so good. Now, for those who don't know, Lambert does work also in Major League Wrestling, and... Equally as good there, but this was this stole the show. Let's get into the main event. We get the Young Bucks against Kingston and Penta, this time for the tag titles. No DQ, of course. Why not? So I'm thinking, all right, we're going to get a ridiculous finish and the Bucks will retain. You guys know how I'm always thinking. The match was actually entertaining. I liked it. There, there was a lot of good elements to the match. And you know, you know, the most people say, but I'm going to give you the however. And you knew, of course, you knew that was coming. That was inevitable. Now, if this were an actual street fight, 
I'm taking Kingston against both Bucks, all right? So the, the thought that this was a street fight is just ludicrous, but that's what they do. And then, of course, here's the ridiculous spot that we get in every Bucks match. Penta hits a Canadian Destroyer through the table. And you know that made me cringe. But I said, okay, all right, let's see how long Matt Jackson sells this for. And to be fair, he was down over five minutes outside the ring without him moving. They showed him a couple times on camera being out. But then for a while, he kind of just vanished and they didn't show him. And once he came back to the ring, I believe after the break, he was shockingly still selling this neck injury. And I applauded that. I said, wow, okay, finally a Jackson sells something. So now we get this spot where Matt Jackson is being choked out by Kingston. And Nick Jackson goes to the top rope. He has a difficult decision to make how he wants to break this up. So he thinks about it. No DQ. So this made sense. And he gives a 450 to the ref. And I went, okay, that works. Now as that's happening, Matt Jackson taps out. Which of course the ref doesn't see because now he's out. The Good Brothers come out. They brawl with Kingston and Penta. They go to the outside, and Penta, of course, typical, has to hit his tope cornholio. And then everything known to man happens in a Young Bucks match, which is Kingston brings out thumbtacks. Now, we talked about how Matt Jackson had already taken a Canadian Destroyer. Now he gets a package pile driver. And I'm like, oh my God, what are you doing? What are you doing? And that's when you could just turn it off because it looks stupid. It's fake. It's just like, okay, well, we don't care. Nothing matters. Now, here's what should have happened, okay? Matt Jackson should have been stretchered out, okay? I mean, that's just when you take that second move, it's just ridiculous. Yet he's up now, not even selling. He stopped selling, by the way. You take a second move to the neck, and now you're not even selling. I, I didn't even care at this point. So the Bucks win. Of course, they use the tax against Kingston. And, you know, it, it was good, and then it got ridiculous fast. The crowd looked like they didn't care. I mean, they kind of looked upset. I don't know. It was like mixed reaction from the crowd. All right, so as I'm watching this, and I'm thinking about Matt Jackson on the outside after the initial Canadian Destroyer on through the table, I started thinking about this finish. Tell me what you guys think of this finish. This, by the way, is psychology and is something most wrestling fans don't comprehend. So after the Canadian Destroyer spot, Matt stays out on the, on the, he's outside cold. They bring a stretcher out, all right? And now he's being put onto the stretcher. Now you can still do the, the Good Brothers spot where they run in. By the way, Kaz was involved in this too. He, he started beating up Cutler as he always does. Then they, they tease the spot where he sprays and then didn't spray. Of course, uh, so you still have, you can have Kingston and Penta fighting all three guys off. So as Jackson's being put on the stretcher, the announcer's, of course, talking about that he's still out. Good Brothers take out Penta. Now you have the spot where Kingston goes to use attacks. He gets super kicked by Matt, excuse me, Nick, Nick, and now Kingston's stumbling around but not out. Now Nick delivers a second super kick, which puts him down by the apron in the same area where Matt Jackson is being loaded onto the stretcher. The ref comes over to count, one, two, and as he gets to two, Kingston looks like he's about to kick out, but then Matt Jackson gets off the stretcher and holds his legs down so he can't kick out on three, and the ref counts, and that's it. The match ends like that. That's just a thought in terms of how you sell your injury and then come back at the end when nobody expects it. That, that's just how I would book that.
And then, for good measure, you could have Matt Jackson, because, you know, these guys are now cocky heels and they're selling stuff. You could have a different angle where he comes out with the neck brace the following week, and he's now selling the neck brace. And then they could work that into the storyline going forward. I just had a thought that I was thinking about the tag team division. Remember when AW first launched and there were like 30 tag teams and all of them were being utilized and it seemed like it was a huge division and it mattered? It seems like ever since the Young Bucks won the tag team titles, everybody has been put on the back burner. There hasn't really been anyone elevated to make you think someone can beat them. I mean, they put together teams, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying everyone's been buried, but some of the teams that when they first launched talk about private parties, now just working dark matches uh, in this ridiculous Hardy family, whatever you want to call it. Jurassic Express, now I know Luchasaurus was hurt, but now he's back, so there's a little bit of that. But my thought was this, wouldn't being in a tag team pitcher, tag team title pitcher, be beneficial to Jungle Boy. We talk about all of his ma- uh, big singles matches, how he's come up short. I just feel like over time, you could build now him as a tag team wrestler and then get him a title that way. And then you could cl- uh, slowly climb him up the ladder where maybe he can win the TNT title. And then in a couple years, you put him in the main title. So at least he gets his feet wet. And I was thinking about, uh, we- we've seen the Luchasaurus. Maybe they can break that up. And maybe, how about Christian and Jungle Boy's attack team? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I, I just think that would work. And the way, oh, by the way, we really haven't seen Chucky e. T and Trent around. So then my second thought was, if it's not Christian, how about Jungle Boy and Orange Cassidy as a team? I mean, holy over Batman. Imagine the crowd on that. The crowd would love those two as a tag team. They would be super over and probably the perfect team to beat the Bucks. That's my thought. And you know how AEW loves to put together these makeshift tag teams, so that would be just perfect. I mean, you talk about other tag teams like Proud and Powerful, FTR, Kaz and Daniel, Scorpio Sky, Kazarian, gone. Just gone. So let's, let's do something else with this division. Now, remember... When Kingston cut that promo that people talked about on the internet after the show where he kind of buried the WWE for how they do things and talked about how they treat the veterans of this business and the legends, if you will. Now, people put him over for that and they gave him the pat on the back and all that other stuff. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) Have you been watching? (laughs) Look what they did to Malenko on camera. I mean, the guy has Parkinson's. Someone punches him in the face. He's kidnapped. Then you have Conan laid out multiple times. And nobody in this company, nobody, has been more brutalized and assaulted than Arn Anderson. I mean, it's just like, what are you talking about? We see what's happening on camera. Now, this show had a bit of a ratings dip. Not much. I mean, I believe last week's show had 883,000. This one went down to 871,000. I apologize that those numbers are inaccurate. But it hurts from the standpoint of, okay, well, now they're live and on the road. And a lot of people thought that would instantly bring back a lot of fans, which I thought was ludicrous because I have this argument all the time online about this. And I don't know why people think, oh, well, the pandemic, oh, well, this, oh, well, that. Well, you're running out of excuses now because it is time now for this show to consistently approach that million mark every week. They should not be dipping like this. Well, that wraps up my thoughts on AEW. We're going to come back. We're going to talk 
The Great American Bash, NXT, SmackDown, and much more Morton's Law back after this. Tune in every Monday night at 10 p.m. for the Absolute Truth Show on Blog Talk Radio. Join the Hot Rod, Sean Black, and Lady T as they give you the truth on current events, politics, and everything in between. That's Monday nights at 10 p.m. on blogtalkradio.com slash the Absolute Truth 100, where they tell it like it is. Welcome back to Morton's Law. Um, I just ask of you, for those who do follow the show, spread the word. Please also, if you can, if you have the ability to please donate. That option is there on the screen when you watch this. So listen, excuse me, listen to this. And uh, I appreciate anything you can do to help me out. Up next, we get the Great American Bash, NXT, Big Show. Opening match is for the tag team titles. We get MSK, champions against... Tommaso Ciampa and Toothless Timmy Thatcher. And this match had a lot of good work. Both teams just gave it everything they had. You know, you guys know I'm always partial to the old school wrestlers, and that's what Ciampa and Timmy give you. Uh, but M- MSK, listen, let's say this they have some really cool combo moves you cannot deny. That flip push move is just like, whoa, that's pretty cool. Now, like I said, this match was really good. The only criticism you could have is that it's too fast. They didn't really slow down at all and work hold that much. I mean, occasionally. But the problem, of course, you talk about no clear-cut babyface or heel in this. But I talked about that, how Ciampa and, and Toothless Timmy are faces, but with an edge. So, But then again, you don't have that element of the big comeback. And despite... The style clash between the two, they worked really well together. The, the crowd clearly into both teams, which was good. Now, with this match, I wasn't sure who would win. I was I was thinking, I was like, wow, where can they go with this? I know MSK is new as champs, but I wasn't sure. Could they turn the titles here? And, uh, you know, the thing is, you just that's another thing. You just put this tag team together with Ciampa and Timmy, so it's hard. I mean, they are undeniable, and you could see them getting a run at some point. So it was not an easy call for NXT management who to put over here. So early in the match, they did this spot where Ciampa accidentally hit it, hit Thatcher, I believe, or vice versa. Pardon me if I'm wrong there. And I thought, oh no. And then it made me think they're going to break them up. Because they always tease that, which we've seen a thousand times in this business. A guy hits his teammate by accident, especially if they've had a history already of fighting one another. And then right before the finish, we get a similar spot. MSK wins via the small package off of the collision between Champa and, and Thatcher. And then when the match ended, I was really relieved that there was no post-match issues between the two. Uh, Champa and Thatcher still on the same page. And regardless, like I said again, this match was very good. And I just hope they don't go back to the two of them and split them up. I, I don't know. I don't know where the future of this division can go, though. We'll see. Up next, Gargano and Cross have a face-off. Where no puck was dropped. Sorry, I couldn't. I could not resist that. Sorry. And Joe and Regal are in the ring. Gargano unleashes the usual rhetoric. About being better in the ring and Cross being afraid, all that other stuff. Cross fires back saying, you'll try your technical moves, 
but a guy like me always beats a guy like you. Then says three things he thinks about in the morning. Not losing the NXT title, main eventing WrestleMania, and becoming WWE Champion. And I thought, wait a second. The three things that should come to mind in the morning is pleasing my wife, pleasing my wife, and oh yeah, pleasing my wife. Speaking of which, she was not there. So she wasn't there, Austin Theory wasn't there, and I know people have talked about the split on the main roster, how she has not been with him on his dark matches, and I really hope they don't do that, but that's just speculation right now. Now, we learned that Joe is going to be the special guest referee in their main event title match next week. Cross says, why wait? But Joe steps in and, and blocks him, and... My thought is this, that if Cross is about to be called up, which most people say is happening, then this is the perfect spot for Joe to cost him the title. Because as we know, Joe cannot do anything to someone unless provoked. So I can see a spot easily during this match where Cross, either by accident or on purpose, takes Joe out. Joe wakes up and then puts him in the choke or hits him with some move and then Gargano ends up pinning him for the title. I mean, that just... That's easy to see Joe retaliating and then Cross gets called up. Uh, I don't know, but that makes sense. Next up, we get Cameron Grimes and LA Knight for the million dollar title. If Grimes loses, he becomes Knight's butler. And remember I told you last week when I heard about this stipulation, it made me cringe. And I went, oh no, because you know I see that being more likely, especially with how these writers love dumb things and it's easy to convince people that oh this will be funny blah 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 so the match had a really good strong start solid wrestling guys actually working holds how about that people can you believe that what a concept an odd moment though <laughs> for the confused nxt fans <laughs> that's for sure <laughs> they were like wait what what are these holds but you know, in this match, here's the best part about this match. You had a clear-cut babyface, clear-cut heel, and I went, wow, how about this? I mean, Grimes is, of course, super over as a face, and look, they hate Knight. I mean, let's be fair, Knight has <laughs> X-Pac heat. <laughs> it's just... Now, we talk about this spot, and they always get it wrong, the crowd. And this time they do get it wrong. So he's in a chin lock, right? And the crowd does the slow clap. Now keep in mind, the heel is in the chin lock. Why is the crowd doing the slow clap? It's usually the other way around. It normally means you want to get the baby face to his feet and have a comeback. And I went, oh, what is this crowd? They're so confused. Oh my God. And Knight did a good job getting heat on Grimes all match long. Nice comeback. I mean, he works the hold. People is a problem. Wrestling fans today, and I learned over time, you learn the business as you go. They don't understand why this is good in terms of working the hold, having the face come back. People, a lot of people just want to see spot to spot to spot. It not mean anything. Let's hit every move and then the match ends. That's not how wrestling works. That's not how you build people up. That's not how you make fans care. So now you get the babyface comeback. And the crowd pops. 
LA, I'll say this, LA Knight is much better than people give him credit for. I know a lot of the internet, I'm not going to say he's on that level of carrying cross where they dis- disrespect him in the ring, but he's, he's better than that. Knight grabs the belt, ref stops him, we get a, a nice false finish. And now, alright, think about how devastating the Poison Rana looks as a move, right? Now, again, they make it look just like another move. It's just, I mean, how isn't this move a finisher? The Poison Rana has to be a finisher. It's that devastating. It's so stupid. So Knight hits Grimes with a DDT outside on the bell. Now, Grimes just beats the 10 count, which is good suspense. Grimes is a 9.5, finally slips in the ring. Good stuff there. Now, this great selling from Grimes. Grimes is in the ring. He's wobbly, stumbling around, crowd chanting to the moon. I mean, they got into this match. The two of them, how they worked, made the people care. Legitimate, organic emotion. Knight hits the finisher, gets the pin, and it works. I mean, the way they did this, it made sense because it wasn't completely clean. He used the belt outside to get the DET. And now the thing that will suck, and we'll see where they go with this, is that Grimes is now going to be his butler. Not a fan of that. Disappointing, but solid match. Very good, actually. Then they put everybody on the ramp of the NXT Breakout Stars Tournament, which will start next week. I had no idea the majority of these people, a lot of these people at Performance Center recruits. Some of them never worked independent. I did see a couple people there that we've seen on camera already, which is Hayes and Baxter. A few really big guys. Wow, some of these guys are huge. Uh, Again, just because they're big doesn't mean they have any ability or talent. We'll see where they go in this business. NXT Women's Tag Titles on the line. Indian Candice against Io and Zoe Stark. And I said this, as I told you last week, I think the titles are changing here. That's just the thought. Now, this match was nothing special at all. It was just another uh, match with moves. It was the opposite of last match that I spoke of. Now, (laughs) they've been teasing. I have not spoke about this on the show because I didn't really care. There's been this battery, and it's been charging kind of like your cell phone battery over the last few weeks. And now, as this match is going on, we see the battery goes full. And... All of a sudden, someone appears on the stage, and you know my memory is bad, okay? My memory is so bad, and a woman is there, and the crowd reacts, and I swear I couldn't place who it was. I was just like, who is she? And it's, I was, and Vic Joseph says, it's Tegan Knox, and I went, yay? (laughs) Now, you know this saying, out of sight, out of mind? And yeah, I, look, I completely forgot about her. I can't deny that. I knew she was injured, but I didn't have any—I didn't even have any recollection of her feud with Candice. So, I mean, look, obviously her appearance then distracted Indy and Candice. Io and Zoe win the tag titles, and this—they got it right. I mean, this made sense the way they did it. But you know, just did anyone? I have to ask: Did anyone else react? Because they—they're selling you this battery going full for. Several weeks, it goes black, and there's Tegan Knox. Did everyone react the way I did? I mean, was that not anticlimactic? It was just like, I don't think anyone really popped. A few people in the crowd would give that generous cheer, if you will. But did anyone really blow for this? 
And I said, if you if you really did get excited for this, please seek a hobby. Now up next, and I'm not joking, this actually happened. We get a 10 minute hip hop concert by Hit Row. And I went, this is the Great American Bash, right? And I thought, Dusty Rhodes is rolling over in his grave. They ultimately <laughs> trivialize the significance of this once legendary pay-per-view. And, by the way, in no way is that to knock the performance of Hit Row. Because it was actually better than anticipated. Now, I really like this chick, what I call Jade Cargill 2.0. And she had the best lyrics. People who don't know me, I'm a big hip-hop fan, love the 80s and 90s. Not a fan of today's music so much. But Top Dollar was okay. Now, Swerve... Had more of that fast style mumble rap that you could barely understand. But all of them were respectable. And I went, but 10 minutes of this? And the fans, it was just almost no reaction. People were just like, okay. And I thought, did PN News ever do a rap, a rap concert at the Great American Bash? For those who even know who PN News is. Main event. Cole O'Reilly 2. And I knew this would be good, if not great. I mean, look, it's these two guys. How do they have a bad match? And we get tons of psychology, selling, great facial expressions from both as they're working hard. This was as good as it gets. Work body parts. They made it look like a fight. Nothing here looked phony. Now, again, I've, I've said this ad nauseum now, and it just makes me sick. There's a point in this match where I got annoyed. Because the crowd is now dueling, doing these dueling chants. And it never ends. It's so frustrating. They take over the match. And I'm like, shut up and enjoy the match. Just clap. Just boo. Just get into it without having to chant. Oh my goodness. And again, I was guilty of that 20 years ago. I used to go to the ECW shows and we would chant all the time to the point where I would realize, why are we doing this? Just can we shut up? Like it bothered me as I was sitting there eventually. And it's just like, wait, we're, we're not here so they can watch us. We're here to watch the wrestlers. It's like, it's just the fans hijack the shows. Now, I kind of figured Cole was going to win just because it makes sense. I mean, you know, you could do this trilogy here, sets it up. Maybe they could even do a best of five or dare I say a best of seven. We haven't seen one of those in a while. But that was more out of respect, the best of seven. This is more of a legitimate feud. I mean, this feud can go all year if done correctly. And I was just thinking of some of the matches they could still have, especially if you're going to have this go even more extreme than it is. I mean, obviously, this was a regular match, but I thought about an Iron Man match. I mean, that would be the culmination of the feud, I think. You could even do an I Quit match. However, an I Quit match kind of means that somebody is done. I mean, I don't know if that works that way. And then I thought this, how about a Hell in a Cell? How incredible would that be? Now, of course, you can't do all those matches. And then the last match I thought of was a Loser Leaves NXT. So any of those matches, I think, are, are great, but they one of them has to be the blow-off. You can't, you can't have all those matches, obviously. Now, I applauded this spot to, agree, to a degree, even though it bothered me. 
as as most things do that are ridiculous like i talked about earlier with the canadian destroyer which is a similar spot here because cole hits the panama sunrise which of course is the canadian destroyer on the apron and again i hate it but when cole when o'reilly excuse me got back into the ring and the ref counted o'reilly got his foot on the rope instead of kicking out i mean the kick out would have been terrible it does still devalue the move which is what's supposed to be the hardest part of the ring. And until you pin somebody after you use the air quotes hardest part of the ring, well then how hard is that part of the ring? It just comes across as fake also. Now this was obviously a great match, but the finish was predictable. And while it was it was great, you knew I, I, I would have been shocked if O'Reilly won the first two matches, although there was a storyline there, you know, you can't beat me, even though you say you're better than me, even though you say I'm jealous of you, all that other stuff. But yeah, I get it. So there's that. Good show. All right. I'm yesterday just hanging around doing what I do, which is usually nothing. And news breaks. I get this text message that Bailey is going to miss nine months after getting injured while training. So I immediately think, you know, of course, this match is off with Bianca Belair now at Money in the Bank, which was supposed to be an I quit match. And I go, well, how do you replace her? Now, do you remember back in the day, which is something they don't do anymore, when they would do injury angles, when a guy would get or a woman would get legitimately hurt? And they would have them where they would safely look like they were injuring them for real while protecting that already injured body part. And that just doesn't happen. And I thought it would have been great if Bailey got laid out backstage by somebody maybe from her past. So Bianca's in the ring cutting a promo. They show video on the screen. This is what I would have done. Videos on the screen and they show the attack, but we never see the face of the person. Bianca says now there's an open challenge for Money in the Bank. The person who was backstage on that video, because the video was shot earlier, is now under, emerges from under the ring but has a mask on. Bianca doesn't know, and she gets attacked from behind. The person takes the mask off, and it's... Now, here's where I wasn't sure who to put in there. I was talking uh, via text with those who know, remember, the Peeps Nate from the original Saturday Afternoon's main event show. And he suggested Shayna Baszler because she's stuck in hell on Raw doing garbage. And I was like, that's not a bad idea. That works. And then I thought, okay, well, who else has heat with Bailey from the past? Maybe even heat with both of them. That could set up this potential storyline segment, whatever you want to call it. And as we were having this conversation, I said, WWE is probably having this exact conversation. What do we do tonight? Because clearly we only have a week to build because next week is our go-home show. Well, what do we do? And I also thought this. You could have done this two ways. You could have had Bailey attacked by somebody to give some sympathy. So in the future, Bailey was taken out by somebody and you could potentially tease a face turn and whether you want to turn her face or not, you can go either way, where maybe she t- pretends to turn face, and then as someone starts to trust her, she turns her back and takes that person out. So many different ways you could go. So I was like, okay, let's see what they do. I turned on SmackDown last night. I'm recording this Saturday afternoon. And they start the second hour. Sonya Deville comes to the ring. And Cole immediately announces what happened to Bailey. And I went, oh, my God. Cole says she's going to be out nine months. She's injured. And I went, all right, no injury angle. 
and I just thought this is incredibly lazy and uncreative. This is what they're gonna do. So they cut to Bailey, who cut a YouTube video earlier in the day, and she cuts a heel promo. Now she's in a brace, which we can see. And again, I thought this is weak because they could have had somebody take her out and build something, and they just didn't think of that, or they just decided against it. So DeVille announces that Bianca will not defend her title at Money in the Bank, but instead will defend it next Friday in Houston when they go back to the live crowd. And her opponent will be, and I don't even know how many, I think, what is she, a Money in the Bank winner already, and she's a champion, and no one gives a shit. They announced Carmella, and I was just like, oh my god, really? By the way, DeVille actually announced the following. She says, for the first time ever, SmackDown will be in front of a live crowd. And I went, oh, yeah, that happened 20 years ago. I know she misspoke, but oh, well. So this was terrible. But look, they they clearly took this off pay-per-view because they knew it sucks. And they also know that Carmella is going to lose because I'm pretty much believe Bailey was going to say I quit. More on SmackDown. Roman's in the ring. This was to start. So, uh, start the match. And here's the funny, excuse me, start the show. And the, the piped in booing from this crowd that doesn't exist. <laughs> and they're chanting, Roman sucks. And it was funny to me because those chants are actually from when, when he was a face, when people dumped on that. Remember? I was, just, I was laughing. So, out comes Jimmy Uso straight off his DUI, which apparently is condoned in the WWE or of course when it only matters towards a storyline I mean great influence on kids right great role model let's just no matter how many DUIs he has he's still going to be on TV Pat McAfee hilarious they had Baron Corn with a backstage segment of course he's distraught because he keeps losing to Shinsuke Nakamura who's now the king and <laughs> McAfee says his hairline <laughs> is committing treason to the rest of his face. And that was a good laugh. I needed that laugh. That was funny. And the last thing I saw before turning this off, just because I was just like, I can't watch any more of this. So Natalia and Tamina are in the ring, and out comes the tank. And I was like, it's Shotzi. I was like, oh, cool. Shotzi and Knox. Didn't we just see Tegan Knox in her return on Tuesday? And now she already got called up? And by the way, they dropped their last names. No more Blackheart. Excuse me, Tegan is removed. Pardon me. So she lost her first name. And I went, okay. But listen, more power to them. I'm happy they get called up. That should be the goal of everybody unless they feel they're going to get buried in future endeavor and all that good stuff. So, <laughs> And then we get this crazy surprise finish. And I went, wow, how about that? It was, By the way, it was an extremely short match. I was like, wow. I know this was a non-title match. So like I've always said... You can beat the champions here. Nobody cares. Plus, let's be honest, it's WWE. Nobody cares anyway. And, uh, yeah, so they win this match, Shotzi and and Knox. And uh, they're going to get a title shot going at some point. And, yeah. So, real quick, before I I go, I just wanted to mention the NBA Finals. And the Suns are up two games to none. Game three tomorrow in Phoenix. And the Suns pretty much controlled both games, and that's what I expected. I told many people, listen, take the Suns in four or five. The Bucks potentially could win one game at home, and if it's going to be a game, it's going to be tomorrow night, because if they get down 3-0, they're getting swept. I mean, Giannis did come out on fire, despite being questionable for game one. Last game, he scored, what, 41, I believe it was? An incredible performance by him, but again... 
in the last two minutes of the game, as I had written, by the way, go check out my Facebook group, Morton's Law, also another thing. I, uh, I said, yeah, they, they're not going to win games in the final two minutes. With all the inability to make free throws, I just think the Suns can find a way to make better shots, make better decisions. And look, Drew Holiday is killing this team right now. Chris Middleton is hot and cold. He's, I mean, look, he had a much better playoff than anyone could expect, just like Paul George. They definitely both elevated and, and shut up some of the detractors. But again, Middleton can go cold, and he has here in this finals. And like I said, Drew Holiday, I mean, he just poor decisions, bad shots. And if you remember, last year in the bubble, they, they ended up trading Bledsoe to get Holiday because Bledsoe was a, was a black hole. And now you get Holiday who's turning into what Bledsoe was. Now Holiday plays better defense. But, yeah, the Suns are just too good. Booker is incredible. I mean, Booker on fire, couldn't miss. I mean, I, I, that's another thing. I talked about the Suns and how they are not the three-point shooting team. And they do better job of cutting and screening and setting pick and rolls and playing actual basketball, taking mid-range shots. But in this game, they were unconscious from three. I would they make 18 threes, an incredible percentage, getting good looks. And listen, that's an indictment on this on the Bucks defense. The Bucks are, are terrible on D. Just terrible, other than Holiday. And oftentimes you see when they set a screen and the Bucks have to switch. There is mass confusion. They run around like a chicken with the head cut off, and people are wide open. And that's when you get the corner three, or many times you see Booker. Booker, by the way, is not a three-point shooter. Needs to get off that line because he's a he's a he's a killer from 17 to 20 feet. But the three is not his. So again, you talk about guys in this league need to play within themselves. Another thing, like Giannis, Giannis wants to step out and shoot this three. It's not his game. There's nothing wrong with it not being his game. Like Ben Simmons, even if Ben does develop a 15 to 18 foot shot, that's all he needs because he he becomes a threat to take a guy off the dribble once they now have to extend knowing he can make that shot. But everyone's going to back off of Giannis. What is he going to make from three? Two out of ten on a good day, three out of ten? Take it. I don't care. I'm, I'd rather that than you beat me off the dribble and dunk in my face, which is what happened a lot of times in this game. DeAndre Ayton couldn't, couldn't guard him to save his life, which is another reason you just give him the ball on the block and work. I mean, what was that? Third quarter, he scored 20 points. But, yeah, when it comes down to it, whether it's Paul, whether it's Booker, even, like, Mikel Bridges. I mean, this guy. I talked about that in my article. This guy is so unsung. I didn't realize his value until watching the Clippers series. He makes so many good decisions. He hits the corner threes. He, he gets to the basket. He finishes. He cuts. Suns are a good basketball team. And they're going to be... No one's going to ever consider them a great team, of course. But they're better than people think. And I would have been curious to see had the Nets not been injured... Would of course Kyrie Harden limping around. If the Suns and Nets played in a seven-game series, that would have been so much fun. Now again, everyone would have leaned Nets, probably six or seven, but the Suns are the Suns would have given them a battle. A good battle. Alright, well, that wraps up another edition of Morton's Law. Real quick, don't forget to check out Box Seat Suck Podcast. With Tony Soprano, the Yankees up and down right now. It just doesn't look good. And uh, the Work Shoot Wrestling Podcast, Corey Richmond, Jason Brooks, check them out. 
And uh, yeah, I'll be back with another episode next week. Take care, everybody. And God bless gay sex.